Hi there, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 475 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We are here to chat about a, well, it was a compelling game, <laughs> uh, a game that that produced a lot of nerves for Duke fans against Boston College over this weekend. I am Jason Evans. I'll be your host, your Sherpa, your guide through the wilderness today. I am joined, as I always am, by Donald Wine and Sam Klein. Donald, your life looks fairly normal today. Is that correct? I mean, yeah, I, I woke up this morning and uh, I'm going to make some breakfast later. And yeah. yeah, so it's normal. Yesterday was was interesting because um, that game was interesting. Yes. Ready to talk about it. <laughs> Definitely. But Sam Klein, see, the we have the advantage of being able to see each other. The viewers, not viewers, the listeners, the listeners can't see us. Sam, where are you? What are you doing? Uh, well, I'm sitting in the dark because it is 630 in the morning where I am, uh, which is Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Uh, I'm here in a hotel room with my friend Scott, and uh, I need to shout out Scott's father, who listens to the show. Uh, sometimes I understand. So, uh, hey, I think I think you should shout out Scott, who doesn't mind that you're up at six thirty in his hotel well, room talking. <laughs> I, I was also I was also going to shout out Scott, uh, but more importantly, his father. So, uh, both of them, uh, thank you for being my friend and/or listener, because. Uh, Scott has had to. I think he's he's been privy to a couple of these shows in the past, despite uh, not being a listener uh, otherwise. So uh, we thank him for that. Uh, I am uh, skiing up here in Wyoming today, and then tomorrow we're driving up to Montana to ski there for a day, and then I'm flying back to Boston, which is why I was not in attendance for the Boston College game, which was in Chestnut Hill, a very short drive <laughs> from where I live. Uh, it, which was, uh, which was yesterday. I, I heard from one of my, one of my college friends who was like, Oh, are you going to the game today? I was like, no, sorry. I sent him a You're photo. 1500 miles away. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I sent him a, sent him a picture from the top of the hill and he was like, okay, fair. Sam, how many States have you skied in? Cause I can count on one hand, the number of States that I've skied in and that number is zero. Uh, so the number of States that I've skied in would be, I'll, I'll, I got to do this out loud because I never counted this before. So it would be Vermont, Pennsylvania. Uh, not mm -hmm. proud of that one. Uh, Colorado, Utah, Montana, Wyoming. Uh, haven't skied in California yet somehow, or nor New Mexico. Uh, British Columbia. Does that count? It's it's, it's a province. Um, province that works. So that's, so that's seven. And then uh, I went to Austria for a ski trip a couple of years ago. So oh, uh, I remember that? Yeah, six six states, a province, and one. Uh, non-North American country. I, I've done I've done five states. The only one I can uh, add to the list that you had: uh, Vermont, Pennsylvania, Utah, Colorado. I think the yeah, a lot of people have skied those. I've also done North Carolina. Oh, I, sorry. So, I, I've also skied in New Hampshire. Let me. I, I totally forget. It, it's oh, I it was too. Somewhat, I forgot about yeah. that. Yes, I have. I was well. <laughs> it's yeah. somewhat forgettable, but I but I was there. <laughs> I I have attempted to downhill ski one time. Um, it was at Mount Brighton in Michigan, which. Uh, Michigan ski resorts in in the Lower Peninsula are usually basically old landfills that have been snowed over, and we just kind of ski down them. Um, I went there, and they were uh, my my mom took me and my brother there to ski. They were closed for maintenance, and we said we're never coming back, and we never did. You, you should give it a try again; it's fun. I, I went to snowboard. Um, Big I just fan. never never found the the time to do it. It's just is what it is. Fair. All right, gentlemen, I'm making the executive decision that we're going to move on from skiing because this is the Duke basketball report, not the Duke ski report. And we have to talk about a little bit of basketball. The Blue Devils played Boston College 
on Saturday. They win this game 65 to 64, literally surviving by the skin of their teeth. It was a very tight, very nerve wracking performance from from the Duke Blue Devils. Uh, we, we should start with our headlines. Donald, do you have a good headline for me? Um, I have a headline. I don't know if it's good, but it is is very simple. Duke wins by a feather against BC. That works. Sam, how about you? What's your headline? I uh, stole one from the listeners. Uh, so I'm going with Tom Wildermuth's headline, which is, hey, that's a road win, uh, which I thought really encapsulates <laughs> the, the, the the big takeaway from this one. Yes. I think yes. the delivery is 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 how is how it makes it great, too. <laughs> hey. Yeah. Hey, what's up? Uh, Tom is right. Uh, a road win. Those are big. I- I'm going to give you the uh, the other good headlines that I enjoyed. We, we as usual, got a, a whole bevy of emails the moment the game ended from, from Duke fans with good headlines. I like Ken Swanner had Duke claws like an eagle for, uh, for win on the road, uh, making reference to the Boston College Eagles there. Jim Baumgardner, scoring droughts, missed dunks and turnovers, but Duke prevails somehow. Uh, I think Jim will uh, probably enjoy ta- uh, joining us for the the bad portion of this uh, of this recap. Eric Blumenfeld, Eagles take it to the limit, but Duke prevails. I love that. I love that one. Take it to the limit, baby. Little little uh, Eagles reference. Um, Chuck Westmoreland, get ready for alliteration. I'm always a fan of alliteration headlines. Dreadful drought doesn't deter devils. Chuck, nice job there, my friend. And John Barnhill. Wait, oh wait, goodness. Jason. I yeah. think I think with that one, I, I think the last part is part of the headline. Um, so he write he wrote us, "Dreadful drought doesn't deter devils," but it almost did. Yes, right. I left off the end here, and and then the last one. Oh boy, John Barnhill. This one, this one takes the cake. Duke pulls its chestnuts out of an open fire at BC. <laughs> that's that's good stuff, people. I like it. I didn't do I, a headline because we had so many good ones from the listeners. I don't uh, usually like the uh, the punny ones, but I do like the the chestnuts one. I yes. appreciate that. Yes. That one was good. That's yeah. well done. All right, guys. So uh, let's get to our job. Let's let's talk about the good. Talk about the bad. We'll start with the good. By the way, it's easy to forget that, that Duke led this game, an ACC road game, by fourteen points in the second half. Like this was looking like a fairly comfortable win. This team was playing. Pretty darn well. Ryan Young and Derek Whitehead were incredible in the first half. Both of them were just fabulous. I was like, I was all prepped. I was like, we're going to come on here and we're going to have a big debate, a big discussion about whether Ryan Young or Derek Whitehead was the MVP of this game. And then kind of story sort of shifted down the stretch there a little bit. Um, But I do want to tip my hat, especially to Ryan Young, whose passing was absurdly good in this game, really created a lot of opportunities for his wins. Um, for his teammates, sorry. Uh, I I will start with Donald though. Donald, talk to me a little bit about what what you have in in the good. What what was there worth I, building on, so to speak? I want to give some stats because I think this stat was the stat of the game. It's the reason I think it was the difference in this game. Um, Jason, one of your favorite stats is uh, free throw. Or, or I'm sorry, field goals attempted. Um, Duke we got beat by ten. 20... So yeah. here we go. Duke made twenty one out of fifty three shots. BC made 26 out of 63 shots. So BC took five more shots than Duke and made five more. Sorry, Both they teams, took 10 more shots than Duke. Check your math, baby. Yeah, BC took 10 more shots than Duke and made five more. Yeah. Um, Both teams shot six for 17 from three. So that's a wash. Duke, 17 for 19 from the free throw line. BC, six for seven from the free throw line. 
BC made five more two-pointers. Duke made 11 more free throws. Duke won, won by one point. There's your math. Yeah, and and by the way, it is worth noting Duke's free throw shooting uh, down the stretch. Duke put out a statistic that they sent to me on the season in the final five minutes of games. Duke is hitting almost 85% at the free throw line. We saw some really clutch free throws in this game when Duke needed every last point. Kyle Filipowski, Mark Mitchell, Duke Duke knocked down some clutch free throws and all season long. I, I'm going to talk a little bit later about you know some of the struggles this team has on offense. But the one of the few places where Duke is a really, really good team on offense is free throw shooting. We're one of the best teams in the country. And in those final five minutes, when we need it, this Duke team, like I said, 85% is a huge number. Sam, what you got in the good? I think on that topic, we've been a little worried that Kyle Filipowski is is you know hitting the freshman wall or 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 entering into a bit of a slump, or maybe he's regressing in some way. I actually think that it's a sign of maturity that he's like, all right, a couple of the shots aren't falling. He's still creating offense. He's still like terrifying opposing teams, drawing a lot of fouls and making free throws. So as much as like, yeah, I wish he was, you know, hitting 45% of his shots as opposed to 30, like that'd be great. But uh, if, if instead of that, he's, he's making opposing teams nervous and opening up spaces for Derek Whitehead to make shots for Tyrese Proctor to make shots for Ryan Young to turn into, you know, this, this like monster super senior that he is, uh, then I'm totally fine with that. And, and hopefully it means that Filipowski eventually finds his shot again in, you know, within the flow of this hopefully improved offense. So I liked that Jason, you met the other thing that I was really hot on, on this game, Jason, you mentioned at the top was Ryan Young's passing. Um, it has gone from, he can do this occasionally to, he leads the team in assists in this game. And and especially with Jeremy Roach out uh, and Tyrese Proctor, not as far along, I think, on the offensive end as John Shire would like. Uh, it's incredible that Duke has a guy like Ryan Young who can, one, offensive rebound into passes, but two, can also accept entry passes um, or high post passes and conduct the offense basically from the middle of the floor. So Ryan Young's old man game creates a lot of passing lanes. Uh, if you think about it, there's one play, which was my favorite play of the game uh, where his old man game created an open lane for someone to drive on backdoor cut and to get it and to get two points out of it. And one. So I, I, it's funny because we talk about how his game has been shifted and, and he can make these kind of dream shake moves to get open, to take shots, but also those dream shakes create passing lanes for him so that if he can't take the shot, someone else can fill that space and he can get it to him. And as you point out, Donald, now his his scoring arsenal, there's enough tape that says that you have to defend him in a lot of different ways, which mm-hmm. I don't think was really part of the game plan. Even when he was at Northwestern, you didn't have to like send a second big man in to potentially lock him up in case he you know, went up and under with the ball. Now he's so good at that, that that teams have to start considering doubling Ryan Young and leaving open the Duke shooters who hopefully have more open shots like Derek Whitehead had early in the game to knock down threes and then uh, make things difficult for opposing defenses. It really, that's what forced Boston college to go to the zone, uh, which I don't think they really wanted to do, but because they were giving up those, those easy passes and those easy threes, they sort of had to adjust. You have to like that Duke is forcing that uh, on, on opposing teams. You know, one of the other 
you guys are talking about Ryan Young's passing. Uh, one of the other stats from this game, we talked about the free throw shooting that that really worked in Duke's favor was we were getting good assists. Uh, the, the Duke finishes this game with 15 assists on 21 made field goals. That's a 71% assist rate. That's the second best assist rate that we've had in, you know, in any game this season. I mean, that's, that's really, really impressive for this Duke team. And a, a fair number of those were passes that ended up with Derek Whitehead either taking a three-pointer or penetrating. We, we saw Derek Whitehead adding that sort of off-the-dribble game to, to what he's already shown us. He, he's shown us he's been, you know, hitting from three lately, and now he's adding a little bit of, of penetration and taking the ball to the hoop. He still disappeared for long stretches, and we're going to talk a little bit later about that missed dunk. Oh boy, are we going to talk about that miss dunk? But uh, but Whitehead has to be something that we put in the good, uh, you know, alongside Ryan Young and and all the passing. Yeah, I, I think also someone that we really need to shout out um, is Mark Mitchell. Um, Amen. Mark Mitchell. Yes. Mark Mitchell. I mean, Coach Shire after the game started out by I mean, Mark Mitchell was the player that was called in uh, for post game press conferences, and he started out by just praising his effort um, on both ends of the floor, 14 points, four or six from the field, six or seven from the free throw line. Again, some of his free throws were down the stretch, six rebounds. He drew five fouls. And he had three blocks, including the most important one that came in the final minute of the basketball game um, that helped preserve the victory. So he, I mean, he was all over the end. He was very active. And, you know, where I said we needed the energy on the road, he provided that energy that was necessary, especially in the second half when we couldn't get a bucket. He was still trying to figure out a way to get to the line to, to get points. And so, uh, or at least feed, you know, feed the energy so that we can get a stop on defense. And while we went nine minutes without, you know, making a basket from the field, it wasn't like Boston College was lighting it up either. Like they were, I mean, our defense was still pretty good at stretches and it was because of the energy presented by guys like Mark Mitchell. Guys, as we wrap up the good, I do want to mention one more thing, which is that Duke got a road win. And and we sort of, you know, we we joked about it at the top, but that's a big deal. I I looked, I looked throughout the rest of the ACC. Uh, there are a lot of teams in the ACC that do not have a road win on the season. A lot of teams in the ACC. Pitt has two road wins at NC State and at Syracuse. Clemson, three road wins at Georgia Tech, at Virginia Tech, and at Pitt. Huge game for Clemson beat Pitt by one point yesterday. Miami has two road wins at Louisville and Notre Dame. I'm not sure those should count. Louisville and Notre Dame are just terrible. Uh, you know, Virginia won at Georgia Tech. Duke won at BC. Syracuse won at Louisville. That's it. rest of the ACC has no road wins. And, you know, yeah, the, uh, I mean, we're going to spend a long time talking about the bad. This was a game that Duke should have won much more than one point. It should not have been as close as it was. I don't want to sugarcoat any of that. But in the ACC this year, a road win is a road win. And any road win is a good road win. So I I think we should not ignore the importance of that. Despite not being there, I did notice on the uh, on the telecast that it did seem like the the fans in attendance were still very much uh, pro-Duke uh, as they were at, the, at this game last year. But as you point out, Jason, it's the travel. It's, you know all the sort of home court stuff going on. And late in the game, when BC came back uh, from that, from that deficit, you could feel the the energy in the, in the building turning even from a distance. So you have to appreciate that. As, as you said, like Duke was able to make free throws 
for a young team to make free throws down the stretch in a game like that is uh, is pretty impressive. Again, regardless of the fact that you know they're playing at Boston College and not at Virginia or NC State or UNC. One of the things that Mark Mitchell said, one of the first things he said when he was in the press conference was, we as a team wanted to prove that we could win away from Cameron. And I think that's important. These guys wanted to show that they could win on the road and show people like, hey, we're not just a team that's just, you know, you can, you know, pick us off on the road one by one. We got moxie, we got grit, we got fight, and we're going to get we're going to get these games. Uh, and all you got to do is just give us a little confidence, which hopefully last night did. I wanted to mention one more thing, which is that because this game happened like in the middle of the day for me yesterday uh, while I was on the mountain, I watched it uh, on replay, which I've had to do for a few games this season. Uh, as horrible as the last minute of this game. So I knew once I opened the ESPN app, I knew what the final score was because unfortunately the place where you go to watch the replays is the same place you go to get the scores. So it like <laughs> pops up immediately. Yeah. So I, I, I've, I've pretty much told myself like I can't avoid spoilers anymore if I'm watching games on delay. But the benefit is that you get to skip a lot of uh, TV time. So I watched this game in like a crisp like hour and five minutes. And the last minute of the game, which Jason pre-warned me was going to be horrible to watch, and I think took about 15 minutes, uh, I got through that in about a minute and a half. So, Good good for you for not enduring the pain of that final minute. (laughs) I can think of no better segue to the bad, from the good to the bad, than to talk about, oh my God, that final minute. What a nightmare. I'm going to, gentlemen, I will recount it for you now. Kyle Filipowski makes a great steal. I mean, a huge moment. We're up by one point, and Flip gets – they've got the ball, and Flip makes a steal. That's just massive. Picked his pocket. Just – I mean, goodbye. a great a great defensive play. And then Derek Whitehead misses a wide-open dunk. I don't think I've ever seen a guy, at, like, with that kind of size. Like, he's 6'8". I mean, he, you know, dunking shouldn't he, – he's athletic. I've never seen a guy miss a wide-open dunk like that. In they the have to describe minute. the miss, though. It was like a, it wasn't like he clanged it off the rim. It was a sprite. He sprited himself. Like if you remember the sprite commercial where oh the guy God. barely dunked, like Grant Hill drank sprite. He sprited himself, and that's that was the most surprising thing. It it, it would have been less surprising if he jumped up and jumped fifteen feet in the air and threw it down so hard that it clanged off the back of the rim, and and the rebound was thirty seven feet. Right, he, he never got there. It happened. It he never get. He just didn't make it to the rim. That's unbelievable that that happened. So then Duke gets the ball back. Tyrese Proctor throws the ball through Mark Mitchell's hands. Do we know how to inbound the ball? I I don't know. I don't know. We, apparently we forgot how to inbound the ball completely. Mark Mitchell makes that incredible block shot, a game-saving play, I think. We get the ball back. We, we cannot inbound the ball again. It gets knocked around, goes off of Flip's feet, and, uh, you know, and, and, and they get it back again. I mean, like, I, it was unbelievable how bad that final minute was oh it was just really frustrating Uh, the one good thing in the final minute of course is that Kyle Filipowski fights like a demon to get a rebound and get to the line where he makes both those free throws and then BC couldn't get a decent shot um you know to to get the win and and you know then we (laughs) and we throw the ball away with half a second left and almost give up a, a a half court oh my god gentlemen the final minute terrifying but we're not going to talk about it yet. We're going to take a commercial break because we got to fit these breaks in someplace. We're going to take a commercial break. When we come back, I'm going to hear from both of you guys about the final minute. We're going to talk about all the other bad stuff in this game. And we have to award 
a player of the week, all of that after this break. This episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup is sponsored by BetterHelp. Springtime is the season that's supposed to feel like a new beginning. We have better weather, and it feels like everyone gains a boost of energy. However, for many, leaving winter behind doesn't always mean that their mood lightens up with the extra sunlight. We all carry around stress, and that stress can build as more events get added to your calendar. That's certainly true, Donald. And with the amount of social gatherings increasing with the improving weather and more daylight, there's more pressure to be on when you're interacting with family, friends, coworkers, even strangers, even when stress has you a little bit down. And for some, getting advice from a therapist can help you tackle some of that stress without affecting you or the people you care about. That's what BetterHelp is all about. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be therapy that's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a professional, licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime you want. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and find your social sweet spot. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Duke Roundup today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Duke Roundup. We're back from the break. I just, before we left, told everyone about the nightmare final minute. We could we could also probably talk about the nightmare, you know, final eight or ten minutes of this game. I'll get to that in a minute. But first, Donald. Donald, that final minute. Dude, that was no fun to watch, was it? It was fun. I mean, like, let's not sugarcoat it. That was fun to watch um, in the sense that it was fun for people who love pain. And I'm a Detroit Lions fan. I've been used to pain my entire life. So... Uh, I was not surprised that that was happening. I think the one critique that I have, there's a lot of things that went wrong, right? Like I can, I can forgive Derek Whitehead for missing the dunk. I can forgive uh, guys for throwing the ball away. I can forgive guys for missing free throws, whatever, right? The one thing that you need to do on the last play, if you were, if you guys watch the game, you'll see this. Ryan Young was basically at the other baseline. Like after the, after the free throws, they go down, they miss a shot. It goes out of bounds. It's our ball with half a second left. Ryan Young is basically down by our bench, and he's just like waving his hands like, throw it over here to me. Throw it over here to me. Why? Because Ryan Young knows I'm 94 feet away from the basket. If anything happens over here, they're not going to get a shot off with half a second left. And Mark Mitchell, I believe it was, inbounded the ball. And he looked for Ryan Young. And threw it about halfway there. Like Ryan Young was about 50 feet away from the play. And he threw it to half court where I believe it was post caught the ball. And mind you, his shot at the end of the game would not have counted. It went off it went off after the buzzer. But we, we all saw the 2010 national championship. We don't leave we don't leave those things the chance. We don't we can't have that. We we already have you know post-traumatic stress from that game still, and that was thir- almost 13 years ago. So I, I, I in those instances, you gotta throw the ball deep. Because, again, the further away from their basket they are, the less they can do with it. The other thing I would have also been cool with is if he faked a long pass, get, got the guy defending the pass up in the air, and then just glanced it off their leg. Because off their leg, half a second, gone, like, done. 
But the safe play was to not throw it to half court where there was nobody there except for a BC player. It was to throw it all the way down the court to make believe that you're at least trying to get it to Ryan Young and know that, you know, 90 feet away from the basket, they're not going to be able to do anything. And all of this happens, you know, one half after uh, Duke totally squanders a great, you know, possession opportunity where Duke had the Duke won the, the jump. So the possession arrow was in BC's favor. Then BC gets the, then um, a Duke shot ends up stuck in the rim with one second left in the first half. So BC gets the possession. And I thought to myself when it happened, oh, good. In a game that I know is going to be close, it's important that Duke gets the advantage from this because BC's not going to make a shot with a second left out of bounds, which they did. So <laughs> I was, I was thinking about that the whole second half. I was like, man, that like, I, like I know Duke ends up winning this game, but that shot could end up, you know, being the difference. And I was still thinking about it when when Mark Mitchell made that final inbound. So uh, we've talked about the final minute. Uh, I do want to mention one more thing about that final minute that I thought was really telling, that that should be pointed out. With 12 seconds left, after we'd hit the free throws to go up by one, uh, after Flip hit those big free throws. BC has the ball, and Duke at that point only needs to play defense. I want to be clear. With 12 seconds left, there really isn't going to be another offensive possession. Maybe someone's going to get fouled, but for the most part, you're thinking, I need to get my five best defenders on the floor. Are we agreed about that? Yes. I think it's very, very telling that Shire kept Lively's rim protection on the bench and left Ryan Young in the game. Now, I get part of that maybe is wanting a better rebounder but and wanting a more savvy player, a more experienced player, one who maybe wouldn't bail out the opposition with a foul. But if Derek Lively cannot even be counted upon to play better defense than Ryan Young, cannot even be counted upon to be our rim protector on a possession where there's no offense involved at all. Look, we know Ryan Young considerably better on offense than Derek Lively. But if we aren't even going to say that on a possession where we only need defense that we want Derek Lively, I got to ask, what what is Derek Lively doing for this team at this point? I think you needed leadership out there. And Ryan Young, in the absence of Jeremy Roach, was proving to be the leader, um, at least the, the, the vocal leader. Um, he's the guy that's bringing people into huddles. He's the guy that's kind of calming people down. And it feeds into the scoring drafts. There's, a, there's a, another thing we want to talk about. But for at least for that play, it seemed like if you needed leadership on the play, he was the guy because uh, I don't think you throw out five freshmen into that mix and hope that they come away with a victory. You need somebody in there to kind of make sure that at least vocally that everyone has their assignments and knows them. Jason, I'm totally with you on this one. It's it, like, it doesn't make any sense that at this point with Derek Lively now is supposedly healthy, right? I mean, if he's not healthy, then it's a different thing, but if he's healthy enough to be playing and this is what we're getting, then it, it's a huge downer. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it's super concerning, and and it it doesn't tell me that that he's getting any better. So there are seventeen players in this in this in this game. Seventeen different players played three or more minutes. Seventeen guys. There was only one of those seventeen players who did not grab a rebound. I'm going to give you two guesses, and the first one doesn't count as to who it was. It was Derek Lively. It's kind of amazing to me how unproductive this guy is when he's on the floor for someone who is so highly touted. And I was talking to some friends on email, some Duke friends on email about all this, and someone brought up an apt comparison in terms of a guy 
super highly rated. We're all incredibly excited to have him and turns out to be an incredibly disappointing player in terms of his production. He said, we got to compare this to Harry Giles. Harry Giles was also a guy considered the number one player in his class. And I'm going to give you their stats. They are remarkably similar in terms of lack of production. Harry Giles averaged 3.9 points per game, 3.8 rebounds per game, playing a little over 11 minutes in 2016-17. Derek Lively is playing almost 17 minutes per game, a little more playing time, but only 3.8 points per game, 3.5 rebounds per game. Less than four points and rebounds, the same as Harry Giles. Yes, Derek Lively's blocking more shots, but man, it it doesn't feel like Lively's game is progressing. It doesn't feel like, like Whitehead we talked about is getting better. He's becoming the player we expected him to be. Lively, just nothing. You know, it's it's kind of, it's scary in terms of what Duke's ceiling in because we think that Lively should be part of that ceiling. And Jason, I, I made this comparison a couple of weeks ago and you said, like, let's not jump to conclusions because like the Harry Giles thing was 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 about injuries and whatever. Yeah. At this point, it might be worse than that because like I don't know that Lively has the same excuses left that that Harry Giles had at this point in his freshman season. Lively has made 22 baskets this year. 19 of them are dunks. And that's the reason why is he hasn't developed that outside of two feet and the, they said the other three baskets were lands within three feet of the basket so he hasn't developed something to make teams want to go oh i need to come out and guard him i just need to wait around the rim to see if he's going to try and you know do an alley-oop or grab a loose grab, grab a loose rebound which he hasn't really been grabbing rebounds and that's where he was getting a lot of those dunks as well was put backs where he grabbed the rebound and went straight back up and dunked it so he has to figure out a way to get guys to want to guard him because if they if they're not, they're just going to start guarding someone else, and that's when you get uh, guys in the double teams down in the paint like Cal Filipowski. All right, I want to get away from Derek Lively and get to the scoring droughts because that's something we really need to talk about. The offensive drought this these this team suffers is a huge source of concern. I mean, literally only days after we got skunked for like the first ten minutes against NC State. We do the same thing at the end of the game against BC. One field goal in the final 10 minutes of this contest that was a driving layup by Kyle Filipowski with about a, a minute and 40 seconds left. And recall, gentlemen, that we had the exact same thing happen against Purdue earlier this season where we were scoreless for the entire seven final seven minutes of the game. This is a contest where we hit just 29% of our shots in the second half. And I wish I could, I wish I had the stats to break it down from like the first you know, 10 minutes of the second half and the second 10 minutes of the second half, because I think we're way below 29% the final 10 minutes of this game. I mean, it's the the offensive droughts, Donald, are they're, they're a thing that this team needs to fix. Yeah, I think it was from the 908 mark in the second half to like the 157 mark in the in the second half. We didn't score a basket. We only made free throws during that during that point. I think we only made one basket from the 908 mark, or I'm sorry, from the 1108 mark, um, all the way to the end, we only made one basket. There's something that I've been talking about with friends that's kind of been interesting when we get in these scoring jobs, and we get them in just about every game. Right now, at this point in the season, we're on January 8th, we haven't figured out who our go-to score is going to be. Oh, and we've think, talked about this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've talked about it, but it's been, it, it festered yesterday. It's festered, it festered against NC State, where 
whenever we need a basket or we need a stop or we need something good to happen, we can't look at one person and go, there's our guy. He's going to get it done. Last year, no matter what happened, we could look at Paulo and say, Paulo's going to do something, right? He could make a pass. He can make a shot. He can stop somebody in defense. He was going to do something to affect us in a positive way to get us out of our rut and get us the momentum that we need. Or Wendell Moore. We talked about or this. Or Wendell Moore. Yeah. But, I mean, what I'm saying is like, even like even Wendell Moore last year looked to Paulo first and knowing that, yes, Wendell can be a scorer in the postseason. Jeremy Roach could be a go-to scorer. But we knew who the guy was that was going to be the catalyst for it. And even if he wasn't the catalyst, he knew to find somebody to make it work. And literally, every single time we're in a scoring drought, it seems like the team is looking around to see who's going to be the guy to break it instead of them all looking at one guy and saying, he's going to do something positive on this play. He's going to get this stop. He's going to get this block. He's going to hit this three. He's going to drive the lane and find the open man. Whatever that positive thing is, we haven't seen it from the same person every single time. Like it, like as you mentioned yesterday, Mark Mitchell made the play on the on defense, and then Kyle Filipowski made the sh- free throws on offense. It, like as freshmen, we don't have one of these freshmen who have taken over at points. And as as good as Derek Whitehead is becoming, he hasn't taken over yet. And maybe he's going to be the guy, but we haven't figured that out yet. And even with Jeremy Roach in the game, and it seems like he's going to be out for at least a little bit because of, of the, of his toe injury. He, when he was in the game, he wasn't the go-to scorer. He may have been the guy to kind of run the point and bring the ball up, but he wasn't the guy that everyone in the other team was like, Oh wait, got a key in on this guy. He's going to, he's going to score. So I think that's the, that's the interesting thing about this team. And that's probably why we get into so many of these droughts, because it feels like everyone thinks that they can do it. But when they, when the, chips are down and we're our backs are against the wall they're looking in the huddle and i don't think they're looking at the same guy as to who's going to be the guy to get us out of this mess the other thing that's challenging especially with roach out is that initiating the offense is really challenging for this team tyrese proctor doesn't have it yet i don't know if he's going to develop it by the end of the season but whether he's bringing the ball up the floor whether it's someone like mark mitchell getting the rebound and then like realizing the fast break as soon as duke is sort of in the half court there's no like offensive creativity going on. There's a lot of like Proctor taking two aggressive steps into the lane and then running back out again, uh, which which doesn't do anything. It doesn't it doesn't make the defense nervous. It it doesn't create chances for guys to to come off screens or get open in any way. He's just running around with the ball. So that's a you know. I, I don't I don't know what the answer is to that. I, I think the situation at point guard while Jeremy Roach is out, it feels like John Shire wants to keep giving Proctor chances to win the job, to to have the you know the the juice to be able to like bring the ball up the court every time. But Proctor doesn't seem quite up to that task. I don't think John Shire wants Jalen Blakes to be the point guard, uh, which is why I assume he like wasn't starting in this game is that he's like, all right, I want to, I want to give Proctor a little more leash, uh, see what happens here because the, because the, uh, the coaching staff is still testing out how the offense works on this team, especially if Filipowski is not automatic, if he's getting double teamed and stuff like we talked in, in earlier about how great it is that Ryan Young is making all these shots. Ryan Young making all these shots is not the plan. Uh, it's a, it's a weird uh, positive byproduct of what's going on but it's not the plan. The plan is that Tyrese Proctor is getting guys open and that's not happening right now. 
Well, and the thing I noticed in this game was that Duke very rarely made a skip pass. Like all our passes were to the next guy, the guy who was right next to you, which doesn't cause the defense to move very much. And and, 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 and the skip passes that Duke did make were scary. <laughs> they were, yeah. They well, were. they also, BC also, at a certain point, they realized, just like we realized, like no nobody on the court was going to make a, make a three-pointer. So they did zone for a while. So that's where, you know, skip passes aren't going to necessarily work in, in, in the zone because you just have a guy that's standing there. But what you can do is make passes into the lane. And I think what we didn't utilize was that free throw line area that we did so well with Matthew Hurt. Right. Like Matthew Hurt, when we had a zone, he would just step right up to the free throw line. He'd take the ball and turn around and go, either I'm going to shoot it and you're going to be just you're going to be disappointed in the outcome because it's going in, or I can find somebody on the wing for a three pointer. And you're also going to be disappointed because we got some great three point shooters. So like that process didn't work out. And I don't think that I mean, I think, you know, to my this probably the first time that exto- a zone was used extensively against us because they figured out we can't shoot the ball uh, for a long stretch. But I think that's going to be something they need to work on is how to pass out of a zone. Skip passes aren't all are, are, are good in a man to man, but they're not always great in a zone. And you need to figure out where the open open passing lanes are and, and get people to fill those holes. That wasn't happening yesterday. So I, I want to mention a couple of things that will tie together everything you guys have been talking about. The first one is talking about Tyrese Proctor and 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 the three pointers and, you know, Donald talking about getting three pointers. I mean, they were they were just leaving. Tyrese Proctor wide open from the perimeter. They were in no way afraid of him taking a three-point shot. He hit two of five in this game, which which is good. I, you know, obviously I'll take 40%. By hitting two of five, he still is less than 25%. He's at 24% three-pointers in the season. Teams are not even bothering to guard him out there. Uh, on the game, he's just two of 10 shooting overall, three assists, and I don't recall a single one of those assists being a really creative pass. And then the other guy, by the way, and Tyrese Proctor, you know, like everybody in Duke, we had trouble with turnovers and Proctor was not immune from that. Duke had 15 turnovers in this game. Do you guys know in ACC games, I looked this up, our ACC statistics, Duke's turning the ball over more than 20% of our possessions. We're like the third worst team in the ACC in terms of turnover possession. Like Louisville is worse than us. I'm not even sure who else. That 20% is a big number for your turnover percentage. For Duke to be doing that in ACC games is just deadly. And then the other thing I wanted to tie back to what you guys were talking about earlier, Sam, you were talking about needing a go-to guy. And who would that be? I thought that maybe eventually on this team that was going to be Derek Whitehead. I want to recount for you guys. I've been doing a lot of this. Hey, let's run down a list of <laughs> of what happened. I'm going to run down a list for you of what Dariq Whitehead's final eight minutes were like in this game. With 8.43 left, Dariq Whitehead hit two free throws. Here's what he did the rest of the way. Commits an offensive foul. He missed a three-pointer. He missed another three-pointer. He missed a jumper. He missed a dunk. He went 0 for 4 with a turnover in the final eight minutes. If that's your go-to guy, that's a good way to lose the game. I mean, yeah. Again, I think that's partly why people are looking and saying who is going to be the guy who's going to step up and be the guy to calm everyone down with a good play and then jason didn't have to be a shot right it doesn't have to be like again the clutch play yesterday was a block and a, and two free throws like it can be whatever it needs to be to win the game but it needs to be someone who consistently whenever they are called upon to do something positive to 
helped stem momentum and kind of turn the tide a little bit, that person delivers over and over and over. Yesterday, again, it was Mark Mitchell down the stretch on defense. It was Kyle Filipowski at the free throw line. Who's it going to be next game? And I think that's where teams it, – it, it, one case is hard for teams to plan for that, like who's going to be the guy they're going to give the ball to down the stretch because it could be anybody. But at the same time, for Duke, it's also probably very concerning that they don't have a go-to guy yet, and I, I think it's going to come. But the question is, who's it going to be? All right, Sam, wrap up the bad for me. I wanted to switch to talking about the defense a little bit. We got a an email from listener Joe Four, who uh, is responding oh to something that I, yeah, who was responding to something that I I think I mentioned a lot early in the season, which is that I think defense is going to be the calling card for this team. He says, I know defense was supposed to be a hallmark for this team, and it was generally pretty solid today at BC. But is it just me, or do we have really really awful double teaming in the post, like half hearted? Poorly positioned double teams that left the dribbler plenty of space to dribble out or through or kick out. Mark Mitchell seemed to be the worst offender of this. And I I think it's a it's a good point that when Duke is trying to double team, and this only applies, by the way, when they're, you know, when they're playing the man-to-man. Because when they're in the zone, I think they've they've gotten a lot better at playing the zone. I don't think they're great at it yet. But when they're in this man-to-man and they're trying to to double in the post, it seems like they're they're doing it without knowing like the the impact that it's going to have on the rest of the the defensive assignments. Boston College is not a is not a great offensive team. You know, they're they don't have like tons of of playmakers all over the place, but they did manage during that stretch to uh you know to find open guys out of that double team. So I, I think it's an astute observation. Yeah. It, it's it feels like token defense. Like you would play in practice when you're trying to simulate, hey, if this defense comes over and they double team you in the post. Here are the lanes that are open. Here's what you want to do. It, it it definitely they need to go over there, sprint over there, and have their hands up. And one thing that not just Duke players, but just college basketball in general has kind of went away from is guys with hands up in the passing lane and having five guys with their hands up in the air to you know simulate a forest of trees. And we have the tall guys that if we all put our hands up in the lane. Ain't nobody getting through the lane, whether they're dribbling, passing, or shooting. Nothing's happening in the lane. But we, like, players feel, it feels like players aren't taught to do that anymore. And because of that, Sam, you have this situation where even if there is a double team, guys can dribble around it, and, and they can, or they can dribble out of it. And there's not an option. There is several options still for them, as opposed to when a double team used to happen, there would be no option other than to go backwards, maybe. Um, and that's where I, I think... Again, energy plays into that as well, because if you're sprinting over instead of jogging over, that double team takes place quicker and maybe forces them into making a bad decision. All right, guys, we got to wrap things up. It's time for our play of the game. Donald, I'll come to you first. You already teased it. What's your play of the game? So around five minutes left in the first half, Ryan Young, again, he did a dream shake to kind of get open. And instead of shooting, he found Mark Mitchell on the uh, on the baseline and fed it to him. And Mark Mitchell got a dunk where it, it was slapped. Basically, he, his arms were slapped into the backboard, and he still was able to basically kiss the backboard with the ball and then dunk it, and he got the and one and made the free throw uh, to make it 29-21. That was my play of the game. Sam, what do you have? I had one like that, which is uh, Whitehead passed down to – this was also in the first half. Whitehead passed down to Ryan Young in the post. He made a, made a little move and then sent it right back out to Whitehead for a clean three-pointer. I love the execution on that. I, I hope we get to see that more. The other play that I had um, was because I know I've dogged on Tyrese Proctor, but he did have a classic John Shire 
uh, inbound, get the ball right back and hit the corner three, which I love to see. And I assume that John Shire also loves when guys make that play. So my play of the game, Sam, you mentioned it. I love the the pass by Young back out to Whitehead on the three-pointer. My, in reality, my player of the game was was almost all of Drake Whitehead's three-pointers in the first half. I just think that the the way he elevates on his three-point shot, it's really difficult to defend. He's getting it off very quickly. He is he seems incredibly confident. I, I you know, I didn't he didn't come in with the reputation of a guy who's going to hit a lot of threes. But man, past few games, he really looks like he can do it. That should probably segue us pretty nicely into the player of the week as we wrap things up. And I'm going to go ahead and start with mine. I think Drake Whitehead is the player of the week. His three-point shooting this week, you know, kept, well, at least gave Duke a little bit of hope <laughs> against NC State and then uh, then absolutely gave Duke the lead that we had to cling to desperately against Boston College. And, you know, it's been a long time coming, but Dariq Whitehead to me was the player of the week, finally, something that we probably would have expected from him earlier in the season. Sam, who you got? Uh, I see your Dariq Whitehead. I'll take Ryan Young, the other guy who was effective for most of this game and uh, at least was scoring against NC State, which is not something we can say for everybody. So I'll take Ryan Young. Donald? I'm glad you guys picked those two because I, I was leaning towards Dariq Whitehead, but I'm actually going to go with Mark Mitchell. Uh, I'm a guy who's t- been telling you energy, energy, energy is the key to a lot of our success. And Man, Mark Mitchell brought energy, and and even I mean, even against NC State, he had some energy, but really against Boston College's energy was the difference in the ball game. So I'm going to go with Mark Mitchell. And with that, we're going to wrap it up here on 475 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I know that ordinarily you would expect us to do a preview of Duke's next contest, a very very big game against the Pitt Panthers. We're going to wait on that. We're going to get that to you probably on Tuesday, right ahead of the Pitt game. It, it, it is a hugely important game, and we want to you know, spend some time really digging into the Pitt Panthers. Uh, it's going to be a huge week because, I mean, Pitt and Clemson, as you mentioned, played yesterday. Those are the top two teams in the ACC. We see both of them this week. So uh, strap in, ladies and gentlemen. We get Pitt at home on Wednesday. We'll focus on that. And then it's off to Clemson uh, and Little John, where uh, traditionally has been fun to play down there. Yeah, and by the way, I am headed to that Clemson game. It's just a two-hour drive from Atlanta, and I've got press passes, so I'll be sitting on press row. I'll hopefully bring you guys, um, you know, a little some snippets from from the locker room after the game and that kind of stuff. But uh, again, that's going to wrap it up for us here on episode four seventy-five of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. He is Sam. He is Donald. I am Jason. This is the Duke Band to play us out and take us home. give you a big Labor Day surprise. Most people think if we all exercise the same and eat the same, we'd all look the same. And let me tell you why that's wrong. Your body is unique and your metabolism is unique. I'm Lacey Green and I'm a super trainer at Body. That's B-O-D-I dot com. And you can't see me, but I don't look like your average personal trainer. I'm curvy and I'm proud of it. So I created a program for beginners only on the Body app to show people like us how to get incredible results and be our version of happy and healthy. This isn't just workout videos. 
videos. It's people like you and me. It's community. It's incredible trainers. It's easy to follow nutrition and mindset experts to help you reduce stress and just feel better. And you can get started with my new program called For Beginners Only. Now, here's the big surprise. If you go to body.com right now, that's B-O-D-I.com, not only can you get everything Body has to offer at 50% off with an annual membership, you'll also get an additional 20% off, but only during Labor Day weekend. Let's do this together. Go to body.com. That's body with an I.com.